Praise the name of the Lord. I declare victory over this house today. I believe for someone what the enemy meant for evil, God is going to turn into your good this day. Anybody else believe that with me? Then give God praise one more time. Praise the name of the Lord. I tell you, every worship song this morning was perfect. Brooks' of scripture was perfect. It all just ties together today, what God's wanting to speak to us. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to uh, go to the book of Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23. And I want to open this morning with a scriptural declaration. The scripture declares, in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Do you believe that? Hallelujah. Aren't you glad every day that his mercies are new? Just how great is our God? Have you even given that much thought? Have you got the right perspective of just how great God is? There's just so much that we take for granted each and every day. That without God, there would be no existence of it. Atheists for years have tried to use science to deny the existence of God. But they're finding the more they try to prove there is no God through science, science is proving there is a God. Because every time they try to solve a question or prove a theory and the evidence and the answer doesn't support what they want to believe, when scientists can't explain, it leads once again, the only answer is for it, that is God. The only explanation that remains proven time and time again that our finite minds, minds are no match for his infinite wisdom and an intricate creation for which no man can ever truly explain is one reason only, God. Now, some sermons make you shout and some sermons make you think. And whether you do or not this morning, it's going to be according to your perspective of who God is today. I believe the Lord wants to pour a greater measure of faith in each and every one of us today. I know times are perplexing, and so does God. This is why this message is so important today. This message ought to encourage you not to lose hope or let doubt creep in during these tough times. And maybe for some, it will even change the perspective of your situation. God wants you to see him from a different perspective today. How many would really like to see the world from God's perspective? Everybody with me say this. How great is our God? How great is our God? We're not asking a question. We're making a declaration. This morning, we'll turn to the book of Job. We will find Job was in one of the greatest dilemmas of his life. He'd lost everything he ever loved in one day, and Job had some questions for God. Job had gotten to a place he had to decide whether or not he would trust God to see him through his enormous circumstances. Has anybody here today besides me ever been in a place like that before or now you are? Where your problems seem too big for you, it's not a comfortable place to be. When your problem gets too big for you, you have to believe it's not too big for your God. You have to be willing to trust the Lord to see you through. There are times when you're going to find yourself in circumstances where the only way you're going to get out is by the help of the Lord. And if he doesn't show up on your behalf, you're finished. But don't you worry. He'll always show up. He says it's his desire to show himself strong on your behalf. He loves it when we have to totally depend upon him. All too often, we simply try to rely on ourselves. Come on, somebody. There are too often God's our last resort. 
Aren't you glad for the psalm that says that if it wasn't for the Lord who was on my side, where would I be? How many of you can say I got myself in a predicament a few times in my life, and it was the Lord who was on my side, and he brought me through my circumstances in spite of me. Can I get a witness this morning? Hallelujah. There are times in our lives when everything is going wrong, like Job, we can even question. Lord, are you sure that I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing? See, Job's friends caused Job to ask that question. The friends of Job said, Job, if you wouldn't have let your God down, you wouldn't be in this situation. And Job responded with, I didn't let God down. That's the only explanation they could come up with for Job's enormous troubles. It made Job eventually question the Lord. God, what am I doing here? Are you sure I'm supposed to be here in this situation? And God responds to Job and he says, Job, would you question me? Are you in a position to question me? Don't you know who I am? And one of the reasons I think this sermon is so necessary is because we're dealing with something in our nation, really our world, that I think is very dangerous for us right now. And as I think we're getting too casual with God. I don't mean casual as in being comfortable. I'm not talking about being comfortable worshiping the Lord. What I'm talking about is an attitude of casualness with the Lord. Well, we no longer have the fear of the Lord in our life. We no longer see him as reverent. We no longer see him as high and lifted up. We no longer come and humbly bow before him. Well, we get to the place like he's just a buddy and God is just someone like whose word we can take it or leave it to a place. Well, I know God said it, but when we get to the place where God speaks and we no longer tremble, when God's presence shows up and we no longer bow, when God's presence is in our midst and we no longer engage with him, something's wrong with our perspective of God when we get to that place. We have simply lost the sight of how great our God is. Psalms 91 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. In other words, church, creation that is visible confirms to us there is a God. Look around you, look up to the heavens and the skies. It's all visible proof of his existence and his handiwork. Jim Bishop, who was a writer for the Miami Herald, Years ago, he published an article, and it was entitled, There Is No God. Now, I want you to listen to a portion of his article, as painful as it is to hear. He writes, there is no God. All the wonders around us are simply accidental. He writes, no almighty hand made a thousand billion stars. They just made themselves. No power keeps them on their steady course. The earth simply spins itself to keep the oceans from falling off towards the sun. Infants teach themselves to cry when they're hungry or hurt. A small flower invented itself. The earth gave itself a day and a night, tilted itself so we could get the seasons. And he goes on and on. All this earth, us, he writes, has simply all involved through the process of time. He ended up with concluding, there is no God. And I say to him, Mr. Bishop, I beg to differ. Sir, tell me, why does it snow on the mountaintops and wait for the warm spring to melt it just in the right time for the young crops to drink from it, from the farms below, which you say is a very lovely accident. Mr. Bishop, the human heart will beat 70 to 80 years and many times way beyond that without faltering. How does it get sufficient rest between the beats? And sir, 
A kidney will filter poison from our blood and leave the good things alone. How does it know one from the other? And who gave the human's tongue flexibility to form words and a brain to understand them, but it denied it to all animals? And who showed the womb how to take the love of two people and cause time for a baby to form that would have proper amount of fingers and eyes and ears and toes in the right places and come into the world when it's strong enough to sustain it? I wish Mr. Bishop was here today to hear these words. I declare only God can do these things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you begin to explain the majesty of God, all the answers we need are written in the pages of your Bible. The book of Job takes us on a journey like no other book of the Bible. The book contains the actual truth proving God's existence. It contains no scientific theories, just facts. You need to keep in mind some of the things found in Job are found nowhere else in the Bible. Because Job is the oldest manuscript of the scriptures. Even though Genesis is the first book and the Pentateuch is the beginning of the Bible, the book of Job is the only manuscript that predates the writing of Moses. The book of Job is amazing because it describes an era of time that no longer existed by the time most of the Bible came into existence and was written. But God preserved it for a reason so we could understand it. Now let's start this journey. There are four chapters to it where Job describes his conversation with the Lord, where God identifies himself to Job and explains himself to Job. Listen to this passage. Stay with me till I put all of this together today. Job 36 and 29 says, Indeed, who can understand the spreading of the clouds? Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds, and they swirl about being turned by his guidance. Do you realize it is God who swirls the clouds? He doesn't just put them there and they swirl themselves. They do it by divine order. And the Bible says that God directs and guides them that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. Do you realize if we lost the cloud cover of the entire earth for one day, the earth would ignite by the sun's rays and we would literally burn up. But do you realize if the whole earth, entire earth was covered by clouds for a whole day, that in a 24-hour period of time without the sun coming through, we'd freeze to death. So how do the clouds know when to take water precisely at the right time around the world? Because the Bible says that God swirls them with his hands and makes them go so they can do his command upon the earth. What an amazing feat. But he doesn't just order the beautiful clouds. He also orders the storm clouds to do his bidding. How many of you have stopped to think that lightning has a purpose, that thunder has a purpose? Listen to what Job chapter 37 says. The thundering of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth under the whole earth. Do you know he sends lightning to the ends of the earth for a purpose? See, most people don't know it takes a certain number of lightning strikes a year to keep the nitrogen level in the earth. That when it strikes the ground, it moves to the place of the earth, putting nitrogen into the soil. Do you realize that if it would stop lightning forever, you'd never get a plant to grow again? The reason your geraniums are going to be beautiful this year and your dogwood's going to blossom is because of God's divine plan. He allowed the earth to receive just the right amount of nutrients and chemicals because he sends them down. To me, that's amazing. No wonder the Bible says the lightning does his bidding and he sends it forth like flashes. God doesn't just let it strike anywhere. He has to do it with pinpoint accuracy. He has to send it to the right place at the right time in order to allow the vegetation of the earth to grow. And all God has to do to create a desert is stop the lightning in that area, and before you know it, it'll become a desert. 
Because there can be no vegetation without the right amount of chemicals in the soil of the earth that comes from the lightning strikes. God in his greatness and God in his prominence works all of this, these things out like a great matrix, like clockwork. In doing so, the heavens declare the wonders of the world and his handiwork is told thereof. Not only is the clouds doing his bidding, the Bible also says that the wind does his bidding. The psalmist says he sends forth his winds. Now look at the wind system that God has whirled together to bring the earth to its knees at times. Have you ever noticed how a tornado is formed? It's formed exactly how Job said it was. It's when the cold front and the southern front come together. And the wind spins off from the heat and the cool when it comes together. It says so in Job 37, 9. He says, from the chambers of the south comes the whirlwind and the cold from the scattering winds of the north. He explains how a tornado formed. And we've just found that out in the last hundred years, folks. But here is Job, the ancient manuscript, telling us how a tornado is formed. Let me tell you something else. God uses wind at times to pronounce his judgment upon the earth. We need to understand this stuff from God's perspective. He wants the world to know one thing. He's in charge. He's trying to get this world to know one thing. The throne of God is not up for grabs. God wants us to understand that so at times he uses the wind for judgment. The book of Luke declares that in the last days, nations will be in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas. That God's going to turn the wind loose on the seas. Folks, this was told over thousands of years ago. The Bible tells us that the closer we get to the coming Lord, the more hurricanes you're going to see. I guess you have seen we're setting new records every year. We're seeing in our lifetime now. If you lived a, while, lived a while on this earth, you know we've never seen what we're seeing now. We've never seen tornadoes out of seasons come into places and destroy them like they are now. God can do whatever he wants to do. He can do it any time he wants to do it, any season he wants to do it in, and he can do it any place he wants to do it. God does not need our permission to judge this earth. It isn't that God's merciless. is isn't that God doesn't love us. is isn't that God is heartless, as many atheists would have you to believe. God wants everybody to know he's the creator. He's the almighty one. It's about the vastness of God. It's about the hand of God. It's about the size of God. It's about the majesty of God. It's about the throne of God. It's not just about one thing God wants to do. It's not just about one individual's life. It's about the fact that he's the king of the universe and there's no other gods besides him. The Bible says in Job 37:10 that by the breath of God, ice is given. Isn't it amazing how a pond can just freeze over? That God with a simple breath can look up on a lake and breathe on it and he can freeze it. If you've ever been in Minnesota in the winter, you'll see what they call ice communities there. When the lake freezes over, people will literally move houses out of the lake and live there all winter long. As a matter of fact, they have a mailman who runs what they call the ice route. He'll take his four-wheel drive. He'll drive right out on that lake and deliver mail to people who are living there so they can fish. If Aaron McGarity lived there, that's where he would live right out on the lake, and he'd cut a hole in the kitchen floor next to the skillet on the stove. And hundreds and hundreds of people are doing this every year. So how is it possible for this ice to hold up a whole community when everybody's got their vehicles parked on it, they're standing on it, they're fishing on it, got their homes on it, they're driving on it. They even got ice roads with their or stripes so the 18-wheelers can cross it. How can the ice withstand the load? Because the God we serve can do that with a simple breath. The God we serve can breathe on the lake, freeze it, and cause it to sustain any amount of weight possible. God tells Job, 
I'm giving you something every morning to let you know I'm at work. Most of us are sleeping through this part of the day. He said, Job, I want you to see the morning as it unfolds because it's a seal. It's your guarantee I'm still on the throne today. Do you realize what this is about? What this picture he paints is about every morning? It's about mercy. Do you realize that? Hopefully, some of you are going to wake up tomorrow morning with a different perspective after hearing this today. Do you know why you're still alive today? Because your God is merciful. Do you know why you got up this morning with breath in your body? Because your God is merciful. Do you know why he wrote, he woke you up in your right mind, and he clothed you and started you on your way because God is merciful? Oh, we're getting somewhere now. Just stay with me. The Bible says that, the, that great is his faithfulness and his mercy is renewed when? Every morning. So when I get up in the morning, that means God says there is a future waiting for me. That God thinks it's necessary for me to remain here another day. Every day I get the privilege of another day of life. He's letting me know that I've still got work to do. That I still have purpose on this earth. That I'm not finished yet. I've still got another day to be a blessing to my family. I've still got another day to be blessed by my family. Oh, come on. Somebody hearing me yet? How great is our God? See, when you begin to look at life from his perspective, listen to me. When I get up in the morning, that's another chance to redo what I messed up yesterday. That means I can start over. Or that means I can finish what I started. It means I got one more day to fulfill the Great Commission. It means I got one more day to do something for the kingdom of God. I tell you, there are some mornings we don't deserve to get up. Because we didn't do nothing what he gave us yesterday. Why would he give us another day? Because God is faithful and his mercy is renewed each and every single day. Amen. He said, when you see the morning, it's a seal. God says the morning comes out every day for a sign of his mercy. Signaling he's still on the throne and he's still in control. He said, Job, every morning you can watch it unfold to remind you that I'm still merciful. If you haven't seen this or it's been a while... Perhaps you need to go home. Set your alarm clocks. Get up and watch the morning unfold once again. It will encourage your faith. Randy Beebe gets up very early every morning because of his job. And often he'll post pictures of the sun coming up in the mornings. It's so beautiful. It encourages me to see them. I know it's encouraging Randy every day. It will brighten your day. It will sit there now, and you'll watch it with this perspective. You'll see something totally different. It's a seal that his mercy still endures forever. I'm talking about getting up the very point the sunlight of the day begins to pierce the darkness of the night. Deer hunters, you've all seen this. When you're sitting out in the woods, you get there before the sun comes up. All of a sudden, the sun begins to come through the trees, and the animals become alive, and the trees, you begin to see everything. It's such a beautiful picture. The morning does not unfold like a sunset, though. A sunset is beautiful. You can watch the sun as it goes down quietly, and God says the night will have peace. If you've ever stood by the ocean when the sun sets in Florida, it'll look like it goes right down into the water. And then the moon comes out, and God fills the earth with a dim light at night. But when the morning unfolds, unravels, it's absolutely magnificent. It's one of the most beautiful pictures you'll ever see on this earth. You can't paint a more beautiful picture. The array of colors, the gentle breeze, the fresh dew, the animals playing, the birds singing, the baby birds chirping, the flowers blooming. And all that God saying, says, this unfolding, 
is my seal upon your life that I still have mercy for you again today. Folks, if it had not been for the Lord's mercy, you would have not made it through another day. If it had not been for the Lord, you would not be who you are, where you are, or doing what you're doing. You had no hope for tomorrow until you saw the morning unfold today only because of the mercies of God. And I can do what he says I can do because of his mercy. I can have what he says I can have because of his mercies. Not of my own righteousness, lest any man should boast, but through mercies I am saved through his mercy. My day is claimed. My life is renewed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Job 38, Job is asked, where is the way to the dwelling light? The darkness swears his place, that you may take it to its territory, that you may know the path to its home. Let me ask you, do you know how to get to the dwelling place of light? And do you know what highway it takes to come down to get to the earth? The Lord says light has a beginning. The beginning of light means it starts somewhere. And God is the one who knows where it starts. Let me show you something about light. Another sign that declares how great is our God. The sun is 93 million miles away. Now, we really can't comprehend how far that is, but let me give you a scenario to try to help. If we were to take our fastest jet we have and travel full speed, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and never stop, which is obviously impossible to do, but if we could, it would take 17 years at the fastest pace possible to reach the sun. Think about that. Going over 500 miles an hour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 17 years. Yet, the God we serve, by the way, scientifically proven, can send a sun ray from the time it leaves the sun and kisses your face is seven seconds. 93 million miles away to your face in seven seconds. Now, how great is our God? Wow. He says, Job, do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set the, their dominion over the earth? Now look at this. If our planet was 10% larger or 10% smaller, it would be impossible for the human race to exist here on the planet. If we were any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were any farther away, we'd freeze to death. For our God is the only one who can stretch the earth and spin it upon its axis at just the right place, at just the right time to sustain life. Only our God can do this. Do you know the ordinances of heaven, he asked Job? Can you set their dominion over the earth? You know what he's asking about setting their dominion? He was asking, Job, can you create a cosmos that has a divine order? Can a man do this, Job? Job, can you make the earth spin exactly the same place all the time for millions of years? Come on now. We got some pretty intelligent physicists and scientists and knowledge is at an all-time high, but you line them up and you ask them, can you do this? Can you create a cosmos that has divine order? Can you keep it from the, even getting close or too far from the sun? Can you make the earth spin up on its axle 23 half degrees at an angle all the time? No, they can't. Only God is the one who can create a universe and set us right in the middle of it to show us his glory day in and day out. And sadly, folks, we take all of this for granted because our perspective of how great our God is is clouded by the cares of this life. Instead of being inspired by the creator of life, we never give these things a thought. We rush through life day in and day out. But if we would stop and view life from this perspective, we would be astonished and amazed at his handiwork. Now look at this. This is so amazing. Our solar system has a sum of nine planets. 
Our galaxy has one solar system in it. But in our galaxy alone, we have 200 billion stars. Many of them much larger than the Earth around us. But here we are rotating around the sun, almost this huge galaxy. By the way, there's over 2,500 galaxies. But remember, our galaxy alone has over 200 billion stars. From God's perspective, though, he looks down on this vast universe through the billions upon billions of stars, thousands of galaxies, and you got to get this. Yet he can look down into a galaxy, through a solar system, into a continent, down into a country, into a city, into a street, into this very church at this hour, and he can still see Bill Marvin and count the number of heads on his head every day. And not only his, but everybody else's too. Now, it's a fact that he can count some faster than others, if you know what I mean. Some of us don't have as much to count. So does that give you any idea how much God cares for you? That God would take the time with all that he's got going on in this matrix, the complexity of all the system he operates to show us his glory and yet still take the time to send you a rhema word. Still take the time to give you a scripture in a needful hour. Still take the time to comfort you in your midnight crisis. Still take the time to put a song in your heart. Still take the time to send an encourager by to see you. Still take the time to heal you. Still take the time to strengthen you. Still take the time to clean up your messes. Still take the time to bless you. And still take the time to provide for you. Does anybody understand yet how great our God is? Hallelujah. Woo! My, my, my. Not only does he do those things, the Bible also tells us that with all that he's got going on, he even knows our every thought and the very intent of our heart. You see, we serve a God who never sleeps nor does he slumber. We ought to be shouting to know we are not obscure from the Almighty mighty as vast as he is. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you have need of. He knows how to get it to you. He knows when you need it. He knows how much you need it. So why are we fretting and caving in and giving up when we serve a God this great? Why are we downtrodden? How dare we think God is not able to take care of us in these perplexing times? If he takes care of the sparrow, how much more can he take care of you? Hallelujah. I want to make a statement about the second coming of Christ. I want to talk about the rapture for a moment. It's a two-part advent. The first part of his coming, he calls the church away. The second part, he places his feet back upon the earth to rule and reign. But let me ask you something. From what direction are we looking for Jesus to return? The Bible declares he's going to split the eastern sky. And declares as lightning comes to the east, to the west, so shall the coming of man be. That's scriptural. Where then is heaven located? In the east? No. Heaven's located in the north. Matter of fact, Job says in Job 37, 22, he will descend from the north in all of his splendor and golden majesty. Job said he stretched the north over the empty place. Now get this. The only star in heaven that does not move is the northern star. Every other star rotates. The north star is the only one you can get your position from because it's always in the same place at the same time. That's why Lucifer says in Isaiah chapter 14 and 13, I want to ascend above the stars of God and sit in the sides of the north. I want to sit in the mouth of the congregation. 
He's telling you where heaven is actually located. So how is it then that Christ is going to descend from the north and enter the earth's atmosphere from the east when he comes back? Is it possible to leave heaven in the north and enter to Jerusalem from the east when we rotate this way around day and night around the sun? I'll tell you how. Did you know that three days a year, every year, only three, that the North Star lines up with the Eastern Gate in Jerusalem? This three-day amazing moment is known as the Autumn Equinox. Only time it's possible to happen. When is the Autumn Equinox? On or around September 21st every year. But what else is so significant about this time period? It happens every year during the Feast of Trumpets. Hmm. It's the only time for three days the Eastern Gate is lined up directly with the North Star. And it's right in the middle of the Feast of the Blowing of the Trumpets. Hallelujah. That's when most scholars suspect Jesus Christ will return during the Feast of Trumpets. Are you getting this? I'm not trying to say that's exactly when it's going to happen. I know man, no man knows the hour of the day, but I'm just trying to show you how at least one way it's possible to happen. God is the greatest mathematician who will ever live who can't even, we can't even begin to discern his plan. The heavens declare his glory and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. Now let's look at a couple more things to get a gist of how great our God is. How about the moon? Psalms 104 says, he appointed the moon for season. The sun knows it's going down. What would happen to the earth if we no longer had a moon? First thing that would happen is we'd become a stagnant pool. Our oceans would become totally stagnant because the moon is the maid of the earth. It's the moon that causes the gravitational pull that creates the tide. And it's the tide that churns the ocean and purifies it and keeps it clean. It's the churning of the tide that creates the clapping of the waves' hands, which, by the way, produces our wind. The waves smashing and clapping together creates the torrents of the wind. But what is interesting is that if it wasn't for the moon... And the tide going in and out, there would be no oxygenation in the ocean. And if there was no oxygenation, the fish and all the ocean life would die. Every living sea creature would die. Have you ever owned a fish tank? You had to put oxygen to the water or the water turned stagnant. The fish will die. So without the moon and the pulling of the tide and the waves going to and fro causing to produce oxygen in the ocean, it would become stagnant. Every living thing in it would die. We've got the ozone layer. How many know what that really is? All I had really ever heard about growing up was if my three sisters didn't stop using so much Aquanet hairspray, they were going to destroy it. If that was the case, we had no ozone layer in my house. The ozone layer, if you were to compress it, would be only about a quarter inch of a thick. Think about this. God uses this tiny ring around the earth to filter out the harmful rays of the sun and allows the right ways to come through to us. How does it know which rays are to be kept out, which rays are to come through, versus not allowing us to get the wrong rays to come in that can destroy us? How? Because the guardian has been told what to let through and what to keep out, and by God's command, it happens. It's amazing the matrix God has put together. Now, lastly, I'm going to look at our atmosphere. Our atmosphere is made up of 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, 1% gas. If that ever changes, we can't breathe. But amazingly, our body only uses the oxygen. 
So how does this human body know how to breathe in air and only use the 21% of oxygen for what we need? And we breathe out the nitrogen into a new form that has been processed known as carbon monoxide. So the rest of the world can use it, such as plant life. Do you realize if the mixture ever changes, we can't breathe? So how do we keep the correct mixture? We don't. God does. The Bible says, scientists have actually proven this, that the waves of the ocean mix the chemicals. After all this study, I'll never look at the waves of the ocean the same. The moon pulls the tide. The tide releases the waves. And the clashing of the waves mixes the upper atmosphere. Simply amazing. But how do the waves know when to precisely come up and down to make sure we have the exact amount of mixture, 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and 1% gas? How do the waves know when to clap to make sure we have the perfect mix? It's simply amazing. And you want to try to tell me that a big bang did all of this? And you want to try to tell me this just evolved? And you want to try to tell me there's no creator or no, of the universe? And you want to try to tell me there's no Adonai? And you want to try to tell me there is no God on the throne who's calling everything in order and into existence? You want to try to get me to believe that by some mere accident, the ocean learned how to mix the upper atmosphere? You want to tell me the rain just falls when it wants to and where it wants to? You want to try to tell me that all the intricacies of this universe are mere circumstances? Oh, no, you don't, because I read in my Bible. Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and everything that was created was created by God. Stand and give God some glory. Hallelujah. This is no accident. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I declare the goodness and the greatness of our God is behind it all. First Colossians 1, 16 and 7 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Somebody shout with me. How great is our God? Hallelujah. You know, we've invented some amazing things which we can explain. But folks, when it comes to creation, that man can't explain or control. Because there's no other explanation than God. Folks, when you get the right perspective of just how big our God is, you will be overwhelmed with his greatness. Now, I shared all this for a reason. It sounded like a science class for a moment probably to some of you, I'm sure. I shared it for this reason. First, to remind you of how great our God is. Here's Job in a dilemma. And he was asking, God, with all these things going on in your life, do you know what I'm really going through? And the Lord answered Job. God strongly told him, remind him who he was. God wanted Job to know one thing, that even though Job was in trouble, come on, somebody, and God had all these things going on, that God knew exactly where Job was. Somebody hear me right now. God, God wanted Job to understand his ways are above his ways. His thoughts are above his thoughts. God wanted Job to know, and somebody in this room today to know, 
He has not lost control. Even when your life appears, it's out of control. We can be assured that God is still very much in control every day of our life. God knows right where you're at. Folks, after hearing about the even beyond comprehensible ways God created and controls this universe, can we not believe he can control our circumstances too? Job says he stretches out the north over the empty place, and he hangs the earth on nothing. Now, there might be some wonderful craftsmen in our day and time, even here today. Maybe they can make some beautiful things with their hands. Maybe there's some ladies who can sew some beautiful things. Maybe there's some men who can, who can build some beautiful furniture. But as craftsmen, you have to start with something. You see, the difference between a craftsman and a creator is this. A craftsman can make something out of something. But a creator can make something out of absolutely nothing. The good news today for us with this perspective is that if you're here today and you need God to make something out of nothing for you, he can. Because when you're down to nothing, I come to tell you God's up to something. Even if you have nothing, nothing to work with, nothing to start with, even all hope is gone. Hallelujah. When the doctor says you can't do no more, hallelujah. When they say you're not going to make it, even when they say there's no more time, there's no more money, I want you to know that the God who created this universe and all of its splendor and glory can take your absolutely nothing and make something beautiful out of it because he's more than a craftsman. He's a creator. Hallelujah. And upon your ashes, God can build something beautiful again. He can take something, make it better, but he can also make something out of nothing. God can take that void in your life, and he can create something wonderful in it. He says in Isaiah 40 and 12, Who has measured out the earth with the hollow of his hand? Who's measured the heavens with a span? Who has calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Who has weighed the mountains with scales and the hills in a balance? Only God can do these things. Now, I use these encounters of Job for a reason today. Job had went through the worst tragedy of his life, had had his world rocked. His three friends had come to him, accused him of everything being his fault. Job had a lot of questions about his circumstances. The biggest was why. Isn't that always our biggest question too? Why, Lord? His friends tried to convince him he was head sinned. Yet God had declared him as a righteous man. Job stood up, though, and defended himself against their condemnation and their opinions. I want you to see, though, that there was another man there that day named Elihu who heard the men accuse Job and heard Job defend himself. He became angry at both, and he became a mediator in the crisis. He waited till the three friends had finished accusing Job, and he waited until Job had finished defending himself, and then he spoke, correcting Job's so-called friends and even correcting Job himself. He said, I'm a young man. So I didn't speak when you older men of wisdom did. But Job, they were wrong. You were innocent. Yet, Job, you were wrong about God. In chapter 33 and 7, he tells Job, I heard the sounds of your words saying I'm pure without transgression. I'm innocent and there's no iniquity in me. Yet he finds occasion against me. He was speaking of God. He counts me his enemy. He puts my feet in stocks and watches my past. Elihu says to Job, look in this, you're not righteous. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Elihu wasn't coming to Job with a man's opinion. He was coming to him with a word from God. He's saying, Job, you have a lot of questions. Looking for your answers from man, you're right. 
they're wrong. You were innocent. But Job, your opinion about God is wrong. He is not your enemy. I got a word for you. Not my word, but it's God's word. And it was that God is his answer. He told Job just how great God is. He reminded him a God big enough to create the heavens and the earth is big enough to solve his problems. After he set him straight, then the Bible says God answered Job, which we started, studied God's answers in our passages. What God said to Job, God sent me to say to someone today, listen to me, whoever you are. God's bigger than your problems. And what God did for Job, God wants to do for you today. Folks, when we mess up, when trouble comes, we seek man's opinion more than God's word. We lose our perspective as how big our God is. And we limit him when he declares nothing is impossible with God. Musicians, would you come? Listen to me, church, for a moment. It's time to get a new perspective on your circumstances and how great our God is. Take what you're enduring and measure that up against the size of our God. And ask yourself, is he big enough for my problem? I promise you, when you measure your circumstances against the greatness of God, he's big enough. He's bigger than cancer. He's bigger than diabetes. He's bigger than this pandemic. If you don't see that way, see it that way, you need God to increase your faith and help you through your circumstances. The God I described to you today is so vast. He's so incredible. He created the intricacies of the universe, the galaxies, we can't even comprehend. Yet in all that, he would tell us in Isaiah, I have inscribed you in the palms of my hand. The NIV verse says he's engraved us there. You know what I hear God saying to you this morning? I've got the whole world to look at. I've got the, the majestics of this universe to look at. But do you know what I like to look at most? What I like to do most is open my picture album and see you. Here is God with so much going on. The laws of nature, the universe at his command. But when God wants to feel close to you, he simply opens his hand and looks right at you. He knows right where you're at and what you're going through. Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah.